gone are the days where we need to continue to pretend like we know everything because we don't know shit. Mm. And if there's anything that 2020 and 2021 has taught us is that we don't know shit. We've been in doctrine to believe we're something that we're not. And it's about time that everyone gives themselves or offers themselves the opportunity to uncover who they truly are at the core of their being. For everyone else, like I invite you to look at what's really important to you. Is freedom important? And if so, then what are you willing to do to achieve that freedom? Is, is sovereignty important? Then what are you willing to do to achieve that sovereignty? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Monty Hook, and today I am joined by Ruby Fremon, a speaker, author, and mentor for thought leaders. We spoke about truth, sovereignty, and how every single one of us can pull out our most important truth and purpose so that we can change the world. We went deep down the rabbit hole on the current state of the world, the usual conspiracy theories, quote unquote, and how now is the time in history where we need to make a stand for humanity. A very deep conversation, some powerful wisdom that we all need to hear, so stay tuned. Guys, head on over to www.montyhook.com and get free access to my ebook, The Exponential Entrepreneur. Abraham Lincoln was quoted as saying, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. This is a concept I've been obsessing over for the past five years. How to scale your business and actually take on more projects, all whilst working less and living a life you love. I'm now very fortunate to have multiple businesses that all run without me, and I spend my days sharpening the axe. That's doing things that I love, like surfing, working on my spiritual practice and health, learning and doing podcasts. So if you are an entrepreneur and you are interested in the strategies required to scale your business, but with you actually working less, and most importantly, cultivating a life of spiritual abundance and freedom, then head on over to www.montyhook.com and get free access to the ebook now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back down the rabbit hole. My name is Monty Hook and I'm here in the studio in Bali. And today I'm joined online, very graciously taking up her evening. Ruby Fremont, how are you? I'm doing awesome. Super excited to be here. Yeah, thanks so much. So we were connected by our mutual friend, Aaron Bayer. He's based here in Bali. And I did a post um, several weeks ago, a month ago, saying something along the lines of the world needs more feminine leadership. And then he tagged you in the post and said, you got to talk to this woman. And here we are finally making it happen. Yeah, I, when he tagged me, I was honored. And, um, you know, I, I fully agree. And at the same time, I feel like right now there, there are so many female leaders rising and using their voices now more than ever. So it's, it's yeah. amazing to see. Yeah. And, and when I said feminine leadership, I didn't just mean women. I think the world would be better off if women were running it personally, <laughs> but, um, feminine, you know, some, some femininity, the feminine side of men, you know, to have mm -hmm. that because men have that, we all have that, we all have feminine and masculine, but 
Yeah. Um, yeah, we need to, we need to nurture the world back to <laughs> back to health. So so what are you uh, what what are you known for? So leadership is is your your thing, and you're working with uh, with thought leaders as something of a mentor and a coach to them. So what's your jam? What are you what are you what are you known for? Well, I'm known for supporting entrepreneurial leaders in reclaiming their potency. Um, so what potency is, is it's the totality of all that you are. It's your voice. It's your truth. It's your essence. It's your personality. It's, it's everything that makes you, you boil down to what I call potency. And what I feel is missing in leadership is that a lot of people are just leading in a way where they're just trying to control how they're being perceived versus leading by being who they be. Yeah. So I support leaders in reclaiming their potency and leading by who they be. Yeah. Oh, awesome. And you've got a new book out called Potent Leadership. And no doubt we'll end up talking about that and we'll make sure people get access to that. Um, but I think it's a very uh, important time, well, the most important time in in history where this kind of work that you're doing, I think, is is most most critical because uh, I think there's there's an there's an element that the way leadership has happened over you know however many hundreds of years has been as you said you know people um, trying to you know use power and trying to be something which is not their natural self and it's certainly not uh, in congruence with the natural laws of how the earth should be. So I think the work that you're doing is very, very important. So whilst we're kind of on that, um, what the fuck do you think is going on in the world right now? I mean, in the last eight, <laughs> 18 months or so, um, you know, we've seen a lot of nonsense and you're over there in America and, you know, we're in a bit of a bubble here in in, in Bali, I guess. Mm -hmm. So what's the what's your take on what's going on in the world on a grand scale? I mean, on a grand scale, if we zoom out of the polarization of the blue versus red, black versus white, you know, the two sides, the duality of it all, uh, we're in the biggest spiritual war of our time. Um, this is truly a good versus evil. This is um, the time where those who are seemingly in control are pushing us to an edge that they we've our generation has never been pushed before. And this is really an invitation for us to reclaim our sovereignty, to become sovereign beings, um, sovereignty of mind, body, and spirit, because all of our lives we've been programmed. We've been um, coerced. We've been persuaded to show up in a certain way, to do certain things with, to fulfill certain expectations, never really offering ourselves the opportunity to figure out what it is that we are, who we, who we are, what it is that we want and how we, our vision for humanity. So right now there's an invitation for us to um, refuse what's being projected upon us and instead to reclaim what is truly ours. Mm. So do you, in, in that do you buy into the narrative, the idea that there are people, uh, elites or wealthy families that are pulling strings and treating us like puppets? I mean, how far down that rabbit hole do you go? Uh, I've gone pretty far down several rabbit holes <laughs> on this topic. And 
Yes, I believe that um, there is a long lineage and history of family bloodlines. And um, this is, I believe that this is far more complex than any of us even realize. And the complexity that is added to it uh, is the, the generations that have come that have been programmed to believe certain things, that uh, to believe that life is a certain way, the indoctrination that has happened to us since we were kids and going to school. Um, so there's a complexity here that I don't think any of us really fully understand, um, but I don't even think we need to fully understand mm. it. I think what's most important is that we understand what it is that we truly want for ourselves, for our families, and for humanity. Yeah, no, I I I agree. I think the the complexity is what adds weight to the problem and the issue because there's so many factors, right? I mean, obviously, there's you know the the critical things that are in the news right now, which is you know virus and pandemic and vaccines and um, you know suppression of suppression of people's opinions and. Uh, there's so many things going on, but then there's so many other things that come out of the woodwork. You know, there's politics, there's um, child trafficking, there's so many things. And I, I, I just tend to think that with all these layers stacked on top of each other, it becomes too difficult for people's minds to comprehend. And then they're just like, fuck it. It's like, it's too, it's too big. F it's too big for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I agree. I think it's been a generational thing. I think um, you know, at least back in World War II, Hitler said, hey, fuck you group of people. We're just going to kill you. At least he was honest about what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And now the mass murder or, you know, whatever you want to call it is, is happening generationally. It's been happening since, you know, probably the last 60 years and it's been a slow burn. But nobody wants to think that they've been brainwashed. Nobody thinks. Mm -hmm. But as you said, we've been indoctrinated into it since the day we were born in a world that I think is in systems and food and all sorts of things that just don't work for us. So as you said, you said that it doesn't really matter, which I agree. The work is it's, it's for ourselves, right? That... Mm -hmm can sound a little bit selfish, right? At first glance. So the way for me to help humanity is to help myself. So talk more about that and talk more about sovereignty. What is what is sovereignty to you and why is that so important right now? Yeah, let me start with um, what you first said. The way to help humanity is to help ourselves. Um, definitely that can sound selfish and that in itself is a program that we've been indoctrined to believe, right? Take care, taking care of ourselves and our needs first is selfish. Um, yet it is the most selfless thing that we can do because imagine if every single person on this planet devoted themselves to their own inner work, to their own healing, how much better we would be as a collective, as humanity. Um, now, when it comes to sovereignty, my how I describe sovereignty is the responsibility that we take for our own minds, for our bodies, for our spirits, understanding that ultimately we are in control, that we have a choice, that we get to choose in any moment and any given day. And uh, to be a sovereign being is to take ownership for our mind, body, spirit. And would that take responsibility for our mind, body, spirit? No more pointing the finger, no more placing blame, but to instead stand in our power. 
So, Ruby, how do you, how do you think that the world got so weird? I mean, how did it get to the? How do we allow it to get to this point? Like as we said, you know, it's, the brainwashing's been happening for a long time, but nobody wants to think that they're part of that. Everybody thinks already probably that they are free. They are have some sovereignty. So I think there's an element of realizing of waking up like, no, actually, holy fuck, I am part of a, I am part of a matrix. And I think that's a very, that's the most scary proposition for people, right? Mm -hmm, Because it's scary to admit that, uh, first of all, it's scary to admit that there's something quote unquote wrong. It's scary to admit that we might be, uh, have played a role in this. It's scary to admit that we've let ourselves be brainwashed or indoctrined. No one wants to admit that, you know, there's, there's a a level of, um, shame that goes along with that. Mm. However, uh, it's baked into everything. It's baked into the education system. It's baked into politics. It's baked into policies. It's baked into rules, regulations, everything. From the moment we come out of the womb, uh, I mean, maybe the first year of our lives, we're kind of allowed to just do what we do. But as soon as we start to learn how to talk, we are shown how to be. We we are we have these expectations projected upon us. Like, this is how you need to show up. This is what you need to say. This is how you need to act. This is how you need to be, you know, red means stop green means go. This is what you're going to learn. And that is conditioning. So we become accustomed to looking to sources outside of ourselves to gain knowledge, to gain wisdom, to learn. And through that process, we start to slowly detach from our own internal wisdom and sovereignty. We become dependent on external sources to move throughout our lives. And and that's what we need to see. And there's no shame in that. We've all been put through this same systemization this is how our society has raised us but now is the time to realize like we don't need to continue to look to these external sources when we get to tap into ourselves and really find what feels like the truth to us find what really feels meaningful to us Mm. so how does somebody start this because it's, it seems like a really big fucking job. You know, there's so many layers of broken systems, the medical system, the, you know, the education system, the politics, everything seems to be broken. So how does one person like me or you, how do they actually make a difference? Because it, it's, it's a pretty overwhelming thought to, you know, step into some level of leadership and it be seemingly a minute kind of piece to the puzzle. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a courageous act. So what, what's the first thing that people can do to kind of step into that and realize that they're actually making a difference rather, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, I know that it can seem like it's too big of a job for just like one person for just me. But what you have to realize is as a leader, you are igniting the hearts of other people. And so it's not just you. You are here to pave the way for more people to support them, to guide them, to create shifts. 
And so it's not just us. We are simply the guiding lights and the systems like right now, what's happening is people are starting to really see how the systems are broken. There's some of us who have seen how broken these systems have been for a long time. And many people are awakening to this. That's the first step is to really acknowledge something isn't working. That's the first step to get people to acknowledge, hey, this isn't working. So then if this isn't working, then how can we move forward and create something that will feel better for humanity or become something that actually serves humanity versus disempowers humanity? So one, just know that even though you see yourself as a leader, you're, this isn't just all on you. You're simply here to guide the way. And then second, the first step for anyone is just to realize, to see, to open your eyes long enough to see that things are not working. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I, I've said often is it's not your job to change the world. It's your job to create the next ripple. And I think we underestimate massively the impact that we can have just by showing up being the most potent version of ourselves. And that in itself is enough to inspire other people and inspire the next person and the next person and so on and so on. And, and what I love about this, you know, this thought philosophy is that is it takes the pressure off. It takes the burden off thinking that you need to have all the answers or you need to change the world. You need to fix the world. You can just get on with your part, right? Mm -hmm. So how do people tap into or figure out what is their unique path or their unique uh, weave in the universe? Yeah. I mean, first by uncovering uh, what's most important to you. And this sounds super simple, like really understanding what you value. But for most of us, again, the values have been something that have been projected upon us. We've been told what's what's meant to be really important to us. So understanding what is actually really important to you, what is it that you value. And that is what you follow. That is what needs to be baked into what you do. For example, for me, integrity is my number one value. So speaking up is a non-negotiable. This is something that I need to do. Sharing the truth is something that I need to do. Uh, speaking up for injustices that I see, that's something that I need to do. Mm. That is my, that is what's most meaningful in my life. So really uncovering what is most meaningful to you and finding that path, letting that lead you into, you know, the work that you're meant to do, what, how you're supposed to support humanity in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's been a shift. I've noticed a, a bit of a shift in the last year and a half, especially in terms of like what inspires me, especially, you know, like people who are being bold enough to speak their truth and speak their mind. And I've always been a little bit like that. I've always been a bit strange and weird. And I've been talking about vaccines for a long time. Um, so I've always been a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> um, and, but I've always been okay with, for the most part, not giving a fuck what, what, what other, other people think, right? And what's inspired me recently is more and more people speaking up, speaking the truth. And I've, I've actually noticed one thing I've observed is that people that I admired before, maybe in the business space or personal development fields, they tend to be, they many of them I've observed in this last 18 months have been completely silent about anything that's going on in the world. And they're just continuing talking about what they were talking about before, which was valid. But now I seem to be 
kind of losing a little bit of, I don't know, inspiration or respect or whatever because I feel like there's a lot of people who uh, were already doing well but maybe they're just trying to keep that. They're trying to save that and they're not speaking they're not speaking their truth. Is this something that you've observed as well? Oh, a hundred fucking percent. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of people who are more concerned with their image and how they're being perceived than speaking the truth. And um, this attempt to maintain that image, it might be working right now, but it's not going to work yeah. for much longer. And, you know, it, it's, it's an avoidance. It's like clinging on to what feels comfortable, cleaning, clinging on to what feels safe because they know what to expect. Yeah. Um, this is really, to me, the path of influencership and not leadership. You know, the, mm. they, these are people who are more concerned about optics and numbers and analytics and um, their bottom line and how they're being seen in this world than what's actually best for this world. Mm. Yeah, no, very... I, I agree. Very, very good points. Um, so when it comes to leadership, what are the critical elements that make up a make up a leader? I mean, if we were to go by, you know, the old narrative or the old education and you get leadership training, it probably looks different to, you know, what we're talking about here, which is tapping into an authenticity and, you know, your your uniqueness. Um, and as I said, I feel inspired by other people who are speaking their truth. Now, that has to be a thread of leadership that I'm feeling or observing or I'm noticing I'm noticing in people. So what are the other elements of leadership as you talk about in your book? Yeah, integrity, definitely. Um, you know, truth is so important these days. Uh, authenticity and congruency. Um, you know, be who you say you're being, mm. do what you're telling other people to do, you know, don't just be a preacher be it. Embodiment is a huge piece. And I believe that this is part of the new paradigm of leadership, um, to really embody everything that you teach, preach and share to make sure that it is integrated in your life before you bring it out and expect others to follow. Um, the other piece is humility. I think humility is really, really important. Don't try, you know, gone are the days where we need to continue to pretend like we know everything because we don't know shit. Mm. And if there's anything that 2020 and 2021 has taught us is that we don't know shit, you know? And so to have great humility uh, in your leadership um, and to show up as a leader who is humble enough to admit that they don't know everything and then finally, like being a student for life, I think it's important to take on the role of a student, knowing that as a leader, you are here to evolve with humanity, which means that you need to continue to be open to learning. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like in the same way that I'm craving different leadership from, from other people, um, I feel like it's a good sign for humanity in that that is what we are craving more and more. We're creating that authentic authenticity, that truth. Um, I'm okay with not having hundreds of thousands of followers, but I, I like the idea of having a few people that, you know, really follow me. And there's, there's a bunch of people that hate me, right? I'm completely mm -hmm. okay with that. Cause it, it, it's a, it's a, 
it's a yardstick for me knowing that I'm speaking my truth to know that there are people that don't agree with me. Like that to me is a is a critical is a critical measure. I'm polarizing debate and I think that that is what we need to encourage more and more because as you said, nobody has the answers and the answers change. Right? What was relevant what's relevant in 2021 was not relevant in 1980 and not in 1950 and if as individuals, we look at who we are today versus who we were five years ago. We're completely different people. So to try to think that you need to have the next five years or 10 years or have all the answers figured out is complete rubbish. And like you said, like just being the example of inspiring people, but inspiring people through uh, showing that you don't have all the answers. <laughs> I mean, you've you've got some insights maybe which are valuable, but you don't have to have all the answers, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what a relief, right? You don't have to have all the answers. Oh, finally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, this is gone are the days where we have to pretend to be someone's guru or someone's expert. You know, I think that this is all the previous performative type leadership that I think people are still clinging on to again, because it feels safe. Um, but, but people will a- actually respect you more when you're showing up transparently, when you're showing humility, when you're just being who you be, um, then when you try and perfect your image and pretend like, you know, everything. Mm, yeah. So let me ask a question. So in the work that you do, mm-hmm. uh, working with leaders and uh, helping people to unpack you know, exactly what that looks like for them and, you know, pull out their potent truth and what's meaningful to them. Do you feel like there is enough space in the world for everybody to do this? Like what, what, if everybody did that, right, what would the world look like? Mm. First of all, I think that there are some people that are just meant to lead, there's some people who really have that calling. It's a calling. Um, but when it comes to the inner work to really pull out what I call your potency, I feel like that's work for everyone. Again, yeah. like we've been in doctrine to believe we're something that we're not. And it's about time that everyone gives themselves or offers themselves the opportunity to uncover who they truly are at the core of their being and stop the charade of trying to be something that they're actually not. And this is why we have a a huge portion of our society living in deep, deep, unfulfilled lives, suffering from mental illness because they're, they're walking around with masks pretend, I mean, in more ways than one and pretending to be something that they're not. Um, it's, it's, a, a, s- a suppression of sorts an oppression of humanity. Yeah. And this is work that we all get to do for ourselves on ourselves and for the betterment of humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <clears throat> the book, Potent Leadership. Uh, mm-hmm. The tagline is "Drop the Mask, Uncover the Real You, and Reclaim the Leader Within." Give us a bit more insight into you know, what people will learn in the book. 
Yeah. So the book takes you on a journey, a three-part journey. And um, part one is called Fake as Fuck. And that really <laughs> is, <laughs> you know, I, I like to just take people into the deep end and then yeah. see if they can swim. Yeah. Um, I think it's important for everyone to acknowledge that which we do not see and that which we've been perhaps unconsciously refusing to see. So you need to see all the ways in which you're still performing, pretending, uh, showing up in ways that are fake, that are not really you. And then part two takes you into the second part of the journey called who you be, where you start to really then uncover, well, what's beneath that mask? What's beneath the facade? What's beneath the pretending and the performing? Who is it that you are at the core of your being? And what's what's the real reason why you've been showing up in these fake ways? And then part three is potency. And that's taking everything that you've learned about yourself and boiling that down into your unique medicine and learning how to then infuse that medicine into the work that you do as a leader um, so that you can lead by being who you be versus who you think you need to be. Yeah. Beautiful. We'll make sure people get the, get the links and the details. Um, so I, I'm assuming you got to this point where you're so passionate about this and you've written a book about it um, that you've had your own journey, of course. Um, so what's that been like? I mean, what was the, what, what's, What's the biggest thing that you, the biggest fake as fuck moment that you discovered about yourself? I mean, for me, it was like living my, my entire, my entire life up until my late twenties, early thirties, um, pretending and just trying to please those around me. And that's really just a trauma response and a safety mechanism that Mm. many of us, um, end up having. Um, I was raised in an Indian family, um, first uh, generation, raised in Canada. And, you know, my parents did the best that they could, but I really was being um, primed to show up in a certain way. And if I didn't show up in that way, then I could lose being loved or, or I wouldn't feel like I belonged. I wouldn't be accepted. I would be punished, shunned. And so that for me was my entire journey. And, and when I realized that was really in 2012, when I had um, one of, I've had many rock bottoms. So that was one of my rock bottoms and it was the ending of a very abusive relationship. And I, I just found myself on the floor crying and it felt so familiar. And I was like, you know, I've been here before, actually I've been here multiple times and I peeled myself off the floor and I went and looked in the mirror and I didn't recognize the woman that was looking back at me. And that was when I realized, you know, like I keep repeating the same story and ending up at rock bottom, not because of other people, not because of my parents, not because of my exes or the people around me, but because of the choices that I'm making. And if I want to change my life, if I want to experience something different, I need to stop pointing the finger and start looking within and making better choices for myself. And that was a really empowering moment for myself to take responsibility, to take full responsibility of my life and understand that shit. No one really, I mean, I was an addict at this time. No one was forcing me to drink. No one was forcing me to do drugs. No one was forcing me to stay in these unhealthy, abusive relationships. No one was forcing me to do any of these things. And yet here I was being this person that I couldn't even recognize anymore. Mm. And it was because of a series of choices that I had made. So you know, for me, that was my biggest, biggest epiphany moment. Um, and it was all about taking responsibility, you know, taking responsibility for my life. 
Yeah. No, it's very, very powerful. And uh, I, I think it's when we get these little moments of insights into the mask that we've got on and, you know, I've done many plant medicine ceremonies and I've done many different things to, you know, to, to get views of what that looks like. And, um, and then the hard part is looking at that and, and being okay with that, like being, okay, well, I can forgive myself for that. That's not who, how I want to be, who I want to be. Cause it, you can end up in just a never ending constant, you know, shame, shame cycle, a loop mm -hmm. of, you know, looking at yourself and realizing that's not what you want, but then you beat yourself up about it. And then you find something else to beat yourself up about. And then it just never, never ends. So there is this element of, you know, in, in this journey, you've got to forgive yourself along the way as, as well. And realize that, like we said, you don't have to have all the answers. We're just making it up as we go. Uh, I've never met a single person on this planet that has all the answers, has it all figured out. I've met people with hundreds of millions of dollars and they've got the same fucking problems that I've got just in mm -hmm. different, their own different versions, right? Yeah, exactly. And I love that you, you mentioned the plant ceremonies because it's it's funny, you know, ayahuasca, I'm in, I'm in a deep, deep relationship with ayahuasca and she continues to put me in my place. And, um, you know, a lot of the things that I used to once refuse to look at about myself. Um, being shown these aspects of myself, like the masks and the hard layers and um, seeing all these things as, well, these are the security mechanisms that I've put into place to keep myself safe. That's really all it is. So why would I beat myself up over that, over that mm. instead of acknowledge what that is? And, you know, for example, people pleasing. That's something that so many people deal with, but that is a safety mechanism. You do this to as a self-preservation technique to keep yourself safe, because at some point in time, you were taught that it's not safe to, to, um, you know, disagree with people, to not please others. And so we start to get into these people pleasing ways in order to keep ourselves feeling safe, to keep ourselves feeling loved and accepted and liked by people. And, and so we don't need to beat ourselves up over that. We can show ourselves compassion for that and see the wound within, you know, the wounded child and then decide, well, then if I don't want this, what do I want instead? Mm. How do I want to show up instead yeah. and focus on that? Yeah. It just reminds me of, um, you know, one of my critical moments in life is, um, you're probably familiar with landmark education. I did that way mm. back in the day before I've ever done any, any ayahuasca or anything else, but um, what I learned through doing Landmark was I got to, I got visibility as to how arrogant I was. And I was, you know, that, that arrogance, there was a confidence that worked for me and it worked for me to a certain point, but it was a complete, um, you know, mechanism, just a defense mechanism, a survival mechanism, you know, for me having to, this is how I'm going to succeed in life. This is just how I'm going to get through. And that was, you know, that's, I built that for myself over 30 years or whatever it was at the time. Um, but what happened at the moment in that moment was when I got to see that, I was like, holy shit, like that's ugly. I don't want to be like that. But then I lost all my confidence, right? I mm -hmm. lost all my confidence and I had nothing. I had like nothing left. I couldn't make sales. I couldn't do anything in business. I couldn't talk to women. Like I had nothing. And then it, it and then I, 
I, I kept doing some some education and kept doing the work and it kind of just dawned on me one day one day and it was through conversation with one of the leaders that it's okay to have that arrogance like if I am responsible for it if I use it and whereas before it was using me right mm-hmm. I wasn't aware like it was just my default way of being that I had no awareness of and now that I have the awareness of it, how can I use that in an in a way with integrity without pushing boundaries where I own it? And that completely transformed my life because I think it was accepting that that was a part of me, right? That piece, I didn't mm-hmm. have to drop it. I allowed myself to take ownership of it. And I think, you know, if, if there's a theme to what we're talking about here is that full responsibility of who you are, what you are, um, and your body and everything that everything that go, goes on, not just responsibility from removing responsibility to anybody else or the government or, you know, assigning 100% responsibility for everything. Like that's been a radical, radical thing in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's one of the most life-changing things you can do. And I think it's also one of the scariest things you can do, um, which is why a lot of people avoid it because that if you're fully responsible for your life, that means you're fully responsible for your life. Yeah. So there's no one else to blame, you know, and that's a really scary thought for people. A lot of people would rather have someone to blame than look at themselves. It's much, much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about your spiritual journey. I mean, sounds like you know, you've been on something of a, a spiritual journey yourself. And um, what is what are some of the things that you've done? Like you said, you've got a, a relationship with, with plant medicine. Is that something you regularly do? Um, and mm-hmm. what does your day-to-day look like? I mean, how do you integrate that way of being on an everyday level where you can stay grounded and humble and aware yeah, great question. Um, plant medicine has been part of my life since 2018, and it's something that for now will continue being part of my life. Um, I see it as a tool to support me in uncovering deeper layers of myself that I struggle to access just from this space. Um, so I don't look at it to solve all my problems. Instead, I look at it as an op, uh, as a, a tool to help me excavate what I need to see. Um, my day-to-day, I mean, honestly, for me, movement is everything. Movement mm. is my meditation. Movement is my practice. Movement is my way of connecting to myself, to my mind, to my body, to my spirit. Um, and movement is a huge piece of my life. So um, movement every day, uh, and that's working out. I work out hard. Um, you know, I think it's, it's when people ask me about my rituals and I say working out, a lot of people are like, well, wait, you know, cause they expect like breath work or meditation or journaling. And it's like, no, you know, I like to go to the gym and I like to like work on my agility and work on my resilience and, and work on my performance. And, um, all of this drops me into our body. I think a lot of the spiritual work takes you out of the body. And I have that experience enough with plant medicines that I really like to come back home into my body. And that in itself to me is a spiritual practice. Mm. So movement every day. And 
then honoring my vessel, I practice a lot of fasting on a regular basis, um, from intermittent fasting to weekly 24 hour fast to, um, you know, anything from five day water fast to five day juice fast, yep. uh, just offering my body a moment to clear out so that I cultivate a deeper connection to spirit. And um, breath work is, is something that I really love. I am someone who actually prefers doing breath work than sitting silently in meditation. To me, breath work is a form of an active meditation. And again, it gets me back into my body. Um, I think naturally I tend to drift out of my body a bit more than a lot of people. I've been in the spiritual space for almost my entire life. Um, so anything that brings me back into my body is something that I consider to be like a must for my daily practices. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Uh, I, I think it's different for different people and it obviously mm -hmm. depends on our past, our history. And, um, yeah. I, I, for me, hundred percent movement every day. Um, and there's, uh, there's an element of, you know, and people say, you know, go to the gym and, and, get it out of your body and you know there's an element of releasing something and especially through mm -hmm. through breath work so that active movement that you're talking about i think there's you know there's a process of 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 release in in mm -hmm. that um so the the plant medicine do you feel mm -hmm. like that this is is a tool for everybody or do you think it's just for some people what's been your experience mm. So, um, one thing I'll say is that I believe plant medicine is, is totally being abused right now. And it's, mm. it's, um, being taken away out of context and the reverence to the plants is completely gone. You know, someone drinks ayahuasca once and they call themselves a shaman. It's ridiculous. Um, I don't think this is the path for everyone. I think that it has to call to you. Um, it, I know it has to call you to you. You have to feel the call to sit in plant medicine um, otherwise you're not going to be prepared for what it, for the actual experience. And, and, and I think if you have to ask the question, what do you mean by being called to it? Well, you're not yeah, being called, you're to not it. called to it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and yeah, there's a, it, it's, I think that it's very life changing for those who are called to it. And, um, the changes can be, you know, we, I think we often hear more about the stories from people who say, oh my God, I had this like blissful, exhilarating experience in my ceremony and this changed and now my life is great. What we don't hear about is the majority of the experiences, which to me are not that, you know, I've been, um, shoved into the ground <laughs> with the medicine shoved into my bucket. I've been shown a lot of dark things about the world, about myself. I've uh, been put in through a lot of physical pain in ceremonies. And um, this is the stuff a lot of people don't talk about. It's, it's more of like the darker side of the plant medicine. And, um, but again, when you use it as a tool, as a way to see that, which you do not see, it's a huge opportunity um, to uncover deeper layers of yourself, of your trauma and also of ancestral trauma. But again, it has to call to you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was called to, I was called to Peru. Like I had these super bizarre experiences and I was having dreams and flashbacks and like, I was a hundred percent caught. And I just, one day I just got on a, like, I was like, I'm 
I booked a flight for a week in advance to go from Bali to Peru. This was back in 2014. And, um, yeah, I was was really, really called to it. Uh, One of the things I noticed about uh, plant medicine ceremonies especially is I think you go into it, um, you know, wanting to heal yourself. You know, there's some kind of personal thing that you're trying to work through or whatever and um, I think that's how how most people go into it. But – my relationship with it has changed over the years in that the more that I go and sit in ceremonies, the more that I'm aware, not just of myself, but of everybody there, the ceremony itself. And what I love is that I, I, I feel like in so many ways that humanity has to, for us to thrive, we have to go back in time somehow. You know, we've got to connect to nature. We've got to connect to these ancient rituals we've got to connect to these ceremonies and sitting in these ceremonies just gives me this beautiful little access to think you know to to think that you know i think we have a chance you know we just got to do more of this kind of thing to move us in the right direction which is kind of back in time in 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 some ways so what's your take on that like i mean do you kind of feel like I, i just think that if societies go, keep going the way that they're going, which is disconnecting from nature more and more and more, and in so many ways, you know, like, you know, there's things that I'm seeing in the news, which may or may not be true, but, you know, there's mandates for children to wear masks in school, right? And it's like that is so disconnecting from our human nature. Uh, in so many ways, it's like it's mm-hmm. suffocating us. It's it's a symbolism of shut your mouth. It is um, not being able to see the facial expressions in your friend. Um, it's just there's so many things. There's so many elements, and I know that that's just one little one little piece of the puzzle. But what do you think? How 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 can we move past that? Like, I mean, how can parents or families or uh, individuals do some things in their life which is going to move us back in that right direction? It doesn't have to be going and sitting in a teepee. I mean, that's a pretty mm. extreme version. But what, what can an everyday person do? Mm. Again, going back to, well, what's really meaningful to you? What's most important to you? Because to some people... What's most important is, is comfort. So those people are going to comply. They're going to obey. They're just going to do whatever they can to try and get back this idea of quote unquote normal, you know, and then that's just what's important to them. But for everyone else, like I invite you to look at what's really important to you. Is freedom important? And if so, then what are you willing to do to achieve that freedom? Is, is sovereignty important? Then what are you willing to do to achieve that sovereignty? Are your kids, uh, their health important? Then what are you do, willing to do to, um, and what does that look like for you? Because for some people, it is getting back, them vaccinated. For others, it's not. Well, then what are you willing to do? Because is it easy to pull your kids out of public school, which is all set for you? All you have to do is enroll them and they just go and, and learn all the things and come home and it's done. But to take them out of school and to figure out how to homeschool them, that's a little harder. But what's most important to you? Mm. You know, again, is it the comfort? Is it the, um, 
the, the quote unquote security, or is it really your kids and their sovereignty? So, and this in itself can be a very dark thing to come face to face with because a lot of people say that freedom is important, but they're not willing to actually do something for it. So that means that maybe you want it to be important for you, but it's actually not something else is more important than the freedom. Yeah, the, the, right, you know? the right way is not necessarily the easy way, that's for sure. No, no. I mean, I know people who are literally um, going above and beyond to speak up, to take a stand, to not buy from companies that are, you know, part of this charade to not, uh, you know, and, and that takes a lot of effort. That takes a lot of energy, especially right now when there aren't a lot of alternative options just yet. But the more of us who start to follow what is truly meaningful to us, and take a stand for that, the more we start to create these options for humanity. And now all of a sudden we have an option, an alternative to, uh, to public school systems. Yeah. We have an alternative to the medical system. We have an alternative to the politics. We, we have all these different alternatives available to us. Mm. Yeah, uh, it, it is dark. It is dark for, you know, for, I mean, for the average family, I mean, in Australia, you know, they have this, no jab, no pay policies, and you can't put your children in free childcare if they're not vaccinated. And I mean, if you're well, just- now they're not even allowed to talk to their neighbors. Yeah, they just announced <laughs> that today. Wow. So I mean, if you're a parent and you're just trying to get by, and you know you're just trying to put food on the table and keep a roof over your head, then you know you're kind of cornered into these situations where people are cornered into a situation where they they have to make a very very brave choice and as you say mm -hmm. um you know make a stand and mm -hmm. that's not an easy thing to do and but I, th I think that this comes back to this important part about sovereignty is because if you if 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 you're going to allow the government to coerce you into free childcare, but you have to get your child vaccinated well you're not being responsible. Like you are at the mercy of what the government is doing and, and saying. And mm -hmm. in some ways, sorry to say, but you know, you're being a slave and mm -hmm. it might not be an easy path. It might be tough, tough for you, but making that decision will give you access to new awareness and it will give you access to new ideas and meeting new people um, that you will find solutions and much, much better solutions. But You've got to take that stand for yourself. Um, you know, I've I had a conversation with my buddy the other day, and you know, here in Bali, um, they're just making it so that you can't move around Indonesia at all unless you have a vaccine certificate. And I was talking mm -hmm. to my buddy; his wife is a hundred percent like me. Like, you're not touching me or my son with this. Him, he's a little bit more like, yeah. If it meant I could travel back to Australia, I I might just get it, and. I'm okay with the idea that people have done the research and they're making a choice for themselves on, I don't want the vaccine, so I won't take it. I've done the research and I'm okay with it, so I'll take it. But the idea that people will just take it just so they can travel or just so they can get back to normal, that is the scary part to me. Like that is the, that's the detrimental part. And I think there's such a huge population of people that are just kind of on that. They feel like 
well, the vaccine's not right for me or whatever it is. There's a thousand, mm -hmm. thousand things. But they're just so willing to want to get back to normal and the, the comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, that's the scary part for me. Right. And, and you know, newsflash, there is no normal. There is no normal. There's n there's no going and, and back. It and it never was life. normal. It never was no, normal. It never was. It never was. And and there's no going back there. Like we cannot go back in time. And we can't, especially now knowing what we know, you know, like there there's no such thing. But people are literally living in a, a state of fear and reacting from that state, desperately trying to cling on to anything that feels familiar or anything that makes them feel safe and secure. Because we as a collective have had the security ripped out from underneath us. And so some of us are willing to be in that space of uh, uncertainty and many others are not. They're desperate to try and find some other sense of security, you know, and, and again, just like some of the other invitations I offered, this is also an invitation to cultivate safety from within to understand what that feels like, instead of depending on external sources to feel safe, to cultivate that sense of safety from within. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways I feel like I was, I was gifted being born into a life where I never had safety and security, mm. right? So it's it's never been a battle for me, like taking risks and taking a stand and losing everything and like it's it's never been a battle for me because I never had it. So yeah. I feel like in some ways that's been a gift for my life but people have to find that for themselves. I can see how, I mean, if you've been spoon-fed your whole life, and you've grown up in this world where everything is comfortable and everything is given to you and um, all of a sudden you have the, the rug pulled from underneath you. Um, mm -hmm. But I think there's going to be some some hard, hard truths. I don't think the world has seen the worst of what's going to happen. I just oh, – no. I, I, I can <laughs> – my, my intuition is telling me, my logic is telling me there's a lot of parts – that I'm seeing, which is like, we're going to go further down this rabbit hole. And I've mm -hmm. even, you know, I, I never bought into the, you know, the doom, doomsdayers, you know, philosophies of, you know, building a bunker and filling it with food and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. But now, now I'm like, I, I, uh, how can I buy thousand acres of land and you know mm -hmm. put some animals and some you know vegetables and make it self-sustainable and you know that's kind of where my where my head is at because yeah. um, I, it's not out of fear it's more out of I don't know that I'm going to have any other choice like if I'm trying right. to continue to live my comfortable life in my nice little villa and have my pool cleaned every day and have food delivered to me um, that might not be there and What's life going to be like if I don't have that? I think I'll be fine. I think a lot of people will not be fine, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people might assume, you know, we call that prepping here in the yeah. U.S. And, and there's like a group of us, the preppers. And, you know, I have my sights on a plot of land too. And, and I see that for our future. And there's a lot of people doing that right now and feeling called to do it right now. And it's not out of fear. Um, fear would be, uh, you know, 
you reacting to fear. This is a response. Mm. There's a difference in being informed and staying vigilant and doing what's best for you and your family. Um, there's a very big difference between that and actually reacting out of fear. Um, and you're right. I don't think that we've seen the worst of it. I mean, we, I mean, you have gone down enough rabbit holes to know that there's darker stuff coming and we're going to be a lot of humanity who hasn't been willing to open their eyes to see the truth are going to be faced with these hard truths in such a confronting way that they can no longer deny it. Or for many, the dissonance is going to get even greater, you know? And, um, I always, like to say that in order for something to be rebirthed, uh, things need to be destroyed. And so we're in that, that phase of, of destruction, um, which within itself lies an opportunity. You know, uh, we've become way too lenient on technologies, on automating everything, on systemization, on external sources, on authority. Um, so much that we've lost our internal authority, that we've lost our sovereignty, that we've given away our power and rendered our society powerless. So now is the opportunity to reclaim that power, to reclaim our potency, to rebuild humanity in a way where we're actually of service to each other and to our, you know, the planet that we live on, um, to start leading our lives with reverence and humility uh, versus pride and ego and um, to create a better future for um, our children and, and these next generations to come. This, this is the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, beautifully said. Yeah, I think the idea of, you know, buying a plot of land somewhere and, you know, it wouldn't just be for me. I'd be wanting to do it as a community thing and I think you probably yeah. feel the same way, you know, like if, yeah. if, if the world imploded some way, it's going to be the unvaccinated people living in 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 communities that are going to survive and then you know re rebuild what it, whatever needs to be rebuilt and i think it's not the first time in history that kind of thing has has happened but uh yeah. it's just on a much much grander scale but what we're talking about here is the communities those movements so regardless of whether that's buying a plot of land or it's like what we're talking about with leadership is like it's building those communities it's inspiring people through a movement where you're taking a you're taking a stand in that in, in that so it's very very uh it's very very important so so you know congratulations on the work that you're you're doing it's very very important for where humanity is at right now and uh, we'll make sure people have got access to check out the book um where can people find you instagram is that the best the best place yeah i mean instagram and twitter for now until they shut those things down or yeah. shut me down we'll see um but at i am ruby is my handle on all social media as well as uh, youtube.com forward slash i am ruby yeah um yeah. And then you've also got my book website, potentleadership.com and my personal website, rubyframon.com. And you've got a podcast as well. Oh, yes. I always forget to mention that. <laughs> you're, so on the funny. you're on Every a podcast time. and forget to mention your own podcast. Always. Um, I have a podcast. I've been running it for four years now. It's called Potent Truth. So if you dig this episode, then be sure to check out my podcast mm. as well. Yeah. Awesome. I'll be uh, checking that out. We'll make sure everybody's got the links. Um, so one final question for you. But uh, yeah, just want to say thanks for taking the time. And uh, thanks for the work that you do. So one final question, which I ask everybody. 
um, if you had the one-time superpower of mental telepathy and you could share a message with all 7.8 billion people on the planet or whatever that number is now, one short, sharp, beautiful, potent message, what would that be? Mm. How can you bring more love into this world? I'd like to leave them with a question. Mm. Beautiful. And is that love for what I'm hearing in that is there's an element of asking yourself the question about bringing love to the world but bringing love to yourself as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, they all go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And it's so needed right now. Yeah, beautiful. Ruby, thank you so much for joining the show. We'll make sure everybody gets a chance to check you out. And let's uh, hope we can do a round two in Bali sometime in the not-too-distant future. Let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I, I think we all just need to get together and start our own airline. That's what I think we need to do Yeah, with our own runways and just bypass all the... I've been looking at boats. I've been looking at boats. That's what I've been looking at. <laughs> that would be a long boat ride. <laughs> it would, but it's probably a little bit more uh, under the radar. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, cool. Ruby, thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time back down the rabbit hole. Bye.